Ladies and gentlemen, we are sitting here with Legally Brunette, Laura DeFrancesco, founder and CEO of Dean Street Law. Wait, wait, don't, don't, we have to trademark it first. It'll be trademarked by the time this comes out. Shh, it's a trade secret until then. Yes, trade secret. We need your input. What do we think of the name? Yeah, do you guys like it? Seriously, DM me at Laura MD Francesco. Tell me, are we in favor? Are we not in favor? Should we do some DSL, Dean Street Law courses under the new brand name of Legally Brunette? I think so. I'm feeling it. What do you think, Liz? No one's going to want to hear my opinion. Just so you guys all have background, <laughs> Casey, we just we just filmed an, a podcast episode on Dean Street Law Farming and Company. Afterwards, Casey was like, Laura, you're legally brunette. And then everyone's talking about how this is such an alive idea. And... I'm like such the realist. I just don't know if it actually makes sense because then we would be forming another company for courses and like X, Y, Z. And I feel like it'll get lost in translation that there's LMD Francesco. There's also Dean Street Law. And then there's also Legally Brunette. Oh, and Flourish. Is that too much for you guys to keep up with? Please tell me. (laughs) And Flourish co-working space lens i don't think that it's extra to have four businesses i mean come on billionaires become billionaires by having like 20 businesses be sure we'll have to do a poll <laughs> and we'll have to poll you guys and and see see who's right yes okay help us with this argument not argument but you know conversation we're polling everyone on laura's instagram so I mean, how cool would it be to be on, like, Good Morning America as Legally Brunette? Yeah. I mean, the intro. I love it. It just establishes brand and expectations, like, yes. so well. I agreed. Like, you know who you are going into the meeting, you know? Mm-hmm. You're fun, playful, cute, but also a liar. <laughs> What more do you want? <laughs> totally. I love it. This feels like an alive idea. And by the way, is everybody ready for a live OS tonight? I'm pumped. I'm so excited. I am like wildly excited. Like I'm just so excited to dig in. This last week I've done so much work internally. It is materializing externally. Our people who are listening have zero idea what we're talking about. Just so everyone has some background information again, <laughs> we are doing, we're all doing a course right now. Laura did it um, back like earlier this summer. Um, it's Live OS with Susie Batiste, and she's like a spiritual, badass businesswoman. And Laura loved it so much that she was like, I'm re upping and I'm bringing you guys along with us. So we're all doing a Live OS this course right now. And it's really, it's really good. It just started last week. Mm-hmm. It is fire. So fire. And seriously, thank God Lindsay's here to, you know, give everyone some context and real estate. Me and Laura are, <laughs> what's going on over here at Porsche right now? We're just a hot mess express over here. My laptop died. We're like podcasting on one mic. Seriously. (laughs) But this episode was so good and Laura provided so much useful information and I can't wait for everyone to listen to it. Yeah. DM me. 
Laura MD Francesco, what are our thoughts? Legally brunette, yes or no? <laughs> and DM me at Sweet Green Soul if you think it's too much. If you think it'll get lost in translation, we can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay's feeling very dismayed about this. She's like, do not create a fourth business. I will slap you. <laughs> no, 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 no. I am supportive. Like, no matter what, whatever you decide to do, this is your life. I'm going to let you live, live your life. But I am also going to be like realistic what is my first impression my gut feeling that I feel like it makes it confusing for the consumer okay that's fair we we honor and appreciate your gut feelings so I am a manifester I have like uh strategies and ideas that come out of nowhere this was not even my idea this was Casey's idea she like threw it at me and I was like oh oh damn um but Lindsay and Casey are generators and they are governed by their intuition Mm -hmm. gut reactions so if you have a gut reaction I listen to it I appreciate it and I love you always even though we might have a difference of opinion (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, let's get into this episode. It's a good one, and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. So let's get started. Welcome, everyone, back to the Flourish We Grow Together podcast. This is Laura DeFrancesco, founder and CEO of Flourish Coworking Space and Dean Street Law. Flourish is a lush, sustainable, and inspiring space to co-work and host events in Westchester, PA, and now global with all of our courses and online resources and communities, all of which you can learn more in the show notes. But I'm excited because today we're talking a little bit more about Dean Street Law. I'm here with my co-hosts, Lindsay and Casey. Hi, everyone. It's Lindsay, the co-founder of Flourish. And I'm Casey, the community manager of Flourish. We are so excited. I mean, this is going to be chock full of tons and tons of information all about how to form your company and all the questions that come about regarding that. Yeah. And just so everyone has a little bit of background too, Laura is the lawyer at Dean Street Law, obviously. And Laura, why don't you tell everyone like how long you've been practicing and a little bit of your legal background? Oh, good questions. So I've been practicing for eight years. I started working in big law before I founded Dean Street Law, and I was working in big law for about seven years before I founded Dean Street Law. I negotiate multi-million and multi-billion dollar contracts. I have a significant expertise in corporate law, everything from formation to bringing on investors to negotiating contracts, financing, real estate, really all the different aspects of corporate law. So I have a very broad range of experience, but also a very deep experience. And I really wanted to become a corporate lawyer so that I could be a really good entrepreneur because Even though it was a significant investment of going to law school and working so many years to finally get to this point, I've worked with so many executives and entrepreneurs on their highest level issues, and it has been such a good opportunity to see entrepreneurship from such a different perspective as an advisor, even from early on in my career. And it's really helped me understand 
as an entrepreneur, what are really key important aspects of my business that I need to protect myself in. So that's really why I wanted to become a lawyer in the first place. Amazing. And literally no one is more knowledgeable than Laura. So we're so excited to be filming these Dean Street Law episodes because they're so chock full of great information and, you know, like kind of like a free mini lawyer session, if you will. So definitely take advantage. I think our first question you had mentioned forming a company. So just why is it important to legally form a company? Good question. And I think a lot of people jump into business, particularly as a side hustle, pretty informally, and they just start doing things, right? They just start selling something online or start building out their business, which is an amazing thing. But the default is without formally establishing a company, meaning filing with the Secretary of State, you don't have a separate legal entity and you just have a sole proprietorship if you're doing it alone or a general partnership if you're doing it with another person. Um, so you really want to make sure that you establish that separate legal entity because that's going to protect you from liability. And it establishes a barrier between your personal assets and whatever liability might be out there. And so that barrier is called the corporate veil. And you want to make sure as you get into this, and we'll talk more about this later, you avoid piercing the corporate veil. So you want to make sure that one, you establish your company, but also that you maintain it as a separate legal entity, including the formalities that that requires. And doing that, you're going to be protecting yourself from liability and protecting your personal assets from liability. We never want to hear, right, that somebody's assets were seized or they lost the house. Those are all really what we want to avoid by creating a separate legal entity. We have a whole guide on that, um, and we'll link that in the show notes, all about piercing the corporate veil and, and really avoiding piercing the corporate veil. That's such great advice and super important. You were talking about entities. Can you explain a little bit about what an entity is and like when people are choosing their business structure, what they should choose? Is there a certain one that you typically recommend to your clients? Yeah. And this is a very complex question. So it's something that you typically consider with an accountant, and there are so many different types of entities, and there's really pros and cons to each. They can get pretty simple, especially when you are solely a solopreneur and you are self-funded. It's very simple, and it's less expensive. And when it gets more complex, such as bringing on investors, particularly private equity, it gets complex very, very quickly. So there's a bunch of different types of entities, including sole proprietor. Well, sole proprietorship and general partnership aren't entities. Those are just ownership types and they're not separate legal entities. So they won't protect you from liability, but there are limited partnerships, limited liability partnerships, limited liability companies, corporations, and B corporations, which are different types of legal entities. And so that is a separate entity that is legally registered with the state. And that is where you want to maintain all of your corporate records. That's where you want to have all of your contracts with, where you want to have your banking all under that umbrella so that it's completely separate from your personal assets. That's really maintaining that distinction and separation so that you can protect yourself from liability. 
there are tons and tons of pros and cons of each. I have a whole guide on this, different types of legal entities. We'll include that in the show notes. But just to really go high level, I like to recommend that people keep it as simple and cost effective as possible. I realize as a lawyer that legal advice can get very expensive very quickly. And especially as you get into more complicated matters, bringing on investors, the legal bills for that rise dramatically. So I recommend self-funding solopreneurs, if at all possible, because it's super easy. You have all the control. You It's cost-effective. Um, if you have a team, I really ma- recommend that you first consider whether a joint venture is a possibility. A joint venture can be just a contract, and that's a lot easier to get out of rather than forming a whole company with someone. You know, it's a lot easier to get out of. You can have that contract outline all of the exp- expectations between people, and you're also going to retain that equity. And retaining equity is one of the most important things that I counsel clients on all the time. Equity is absolutely everything. It is so important. It is your rights to distributions and profits of the company. It's your control rights for the company, your decision-making. Everything's tied to equity, and it becomes super important. So if you're a solopreneur, limited liability companies are super easy. They are straightforward. There's less costs and less upkeep and maintenance and corporate formalities that you have to maintain. So that's something that... I recommend for a lot of solopreneurs. And even if you have multiple owners and that's the way you already set it up or that's what you want, I still highly recommend um, working with an attorney to make sure that you have a situation that works for everybody, that it's really well thought out. But generally, a an LLC would work for that. And corporations tend to be more complex. They have – it's more costly. They have – Uh, a lot more that you have to do in terms of maintenance and corporate formalities. So the cost probably doubles typically when you're starting a formation versus starting an LLC. And if, But if you're bringing on investors, you might be able to do that through an LLC, a limited liability company. Uh, but investors like private equity company, family and friends, they might want a corporation because it's more familiar to them and you're able to issue stock without um, without having to amend amend the limited liability company agreement every time. It comes with its own bag of worms, believe me, and gets very complex very quickly. But that's kind of just a general breakdown of a lot of the things that you typically hear of. And a question that I commonly get is, can you form an S corporation for me? And just to note, that's actually not a separate legal entity. An S corporation is just a tax classification. And as I mentioned before, these are conversations that you want to have with your lawyer and your accountant at the same time because you want to choose the type of entity that works for your goals, but you also want to choose it in a way that's cohesive with your tax planning strategy. Gotcha. And anyone who's who's not familiar, Laura, do you mind explaining what exactly equity is? Because I know it because I talk to you every day, but I feel like if I hadn't been here before, then I wouldn't know exactly what equity is. Yeah. Equity is your ownership in the company. And so 
the reason why equity is so important and you might think, well, the company's not worth anything right now, so I can give away 50%, and I really want this person to feel good, so I can give away 50% of the company to make them feel good because they say they're going to do it with me. And the difficulty with that and the reason why I highly recommend that you structure it either as a joint venture or you know, have a conversation with your lawyer about this, of how you can structure it where you're bringing on other people but retaining your equity because – your company may not be worth anything now, today, but the cost of equity increases dramatically, incredibly high once you start to grow your company. So they got 50% at $0 today, right? But if your company is worth a million dollars in two years, that costs you $500,000, and it may cost you even more if something goes wrong and you have to try to buy them out. So equity becomes very complicated and it also becomes very expensive. And so I always counsel for self-funding and solopreneuring because it keeps things simple. You retain all of the equity and you're protected. And debt also costs a lot, lot less than equity. So we can talk about different fundraising in a little bit, but there's so many options to raise funds other than giving away equity. So keep that close to your heart. I love that. And our next question was speaking of funding, we were saying what legal advice do you have for someone who's thinking about looking for investors versus what are your, like, what's your opinion on self-funding? I'm a huge fan of self-funding. I feel like I preach that so much on the podcast. I really love the lean startup method. I like starting small, starting scrappy, bootstrapping. I think it's really good to grow organically. A lot of companies that have exploded recently show how much pressure they're put under when they get outside investment. So for instance, WeWork got a ton of investments, a ton, a ton of outside investments. And it didn't work because there's only so much growth that you can buy. You can't buy market share. Market share has to come to you. And so the thing about getting outside investors is that you're often asking for someone's opinion. If they give you a dollar, believe me, they will have an opinion on how it should be spent. And it puts a lot of pressure on you to be beholden to other people, to have people speaking in your brain and like they might be speaking really right in your face um, about what you should be doing with the company so early on. And it makes it really hard to experiment and follow your heart and really pivot quickly. Um, it really, like when you have somebody who's telling you what you should be doing with your money, with their money and your money, their voice can become a lot louder than your own, which creates a lot of issues, particularly with startups. So especially in the beginning stages, I really recommend self-funding. But if you need outside funding, there's still so, so many ways that you can do that while still retaining your equity. So I talked a little bit about debt, but one of the first things that I think of when I think of outside investments with, while retaining equity is to crowdfund. Crowdfund is such a popular and way to raise funds now. And I'm so excited. I'm so happy because it's made investing easier for the consumers. And 
It really helps you, especially if you do rewards-based crowdfunding. There's a couple different ways that you can do crowdfunding. You can do crowdfunding through rewards-based crowdfunding where you get they get like a product or a service or an experience for investing in your company, or there is debt-based um, or donation-based crowdfunding. So someone can just make a donation and they don't get anything from it, or you can raise debt through crowdfunding, or you could give equity in exchange for crowdfunding. So I'm just going to base it on rewards because that's become super popular, particularly in consumer-facing businesses. And it really gives you a great opportunity to test the market and also really start to build brand awareness, right? Part of crowdfunding is a lot of marketing. And so you're able to build your funds to support your business, but you're also able to build your community, to build your brand awareness. And all of the momentum is pushing you forward and helping you bring this idea to realization. So that's a good way to fundraise. Another really good way to fundraise is through debt. And I know that this is something that a lot of people get scared about, but interest rates are super low right now and interest rates are so much less costly than if you were to give someone equity. So equity is basically going to be that future value in the company, which could be significant, whereas debt is only going to cost you the interest that grows over the time period of your loan. So there's so many different ways that you can get funding through debt. There are um, small business loans. You could get private loans from friends and family. So if you're thinking of going the friends and family route, you could do debt instead of equity. And that's a much better position for your company. You could even do forgivable debt. And that's really starting to talk with an attorney and get creative. And that's why it's really good to work with an attorney as you're a startup because they can tell you about things that you might not have even known about. Um, And then, of course, there's fundraising in terms of giving equity in your company. That could be convertible debt, so debt that converts into equity, so a loan that converts into shares and ownership of the company. And there's a bunch of other different ways as well that you can fundraise in common stock, which is a, is an interest in a corporation or preferred stock, also an interest in corporation, but more um, those kind of get more in the weeds. And I think we want to do more of something more high level and easier to digest. Once you get to the point where you're raising funds, definitely get a lawyer because it gets complex quickly. That was really good advice, especially a couple tips too on self-funding. I'm curious because I want to dive a little bit deeper into LLCs because this is the one that you typically recommend. I'm curious, like, what exactly would it look like? Like, if I wanted to set up an LLC for Sweet Green Soul, like, where would I start? What would I do? And, like, you're what you're welcome to speak up, speak to it as if you're working with a lawyer or as if it's someone um, just doing it by themselves. Like, what? It, like, how much does it cost? Like, what information do I need to gather? Um, I feel like that would be super helpful. Love that. And I love that we have an example and we need to make Sweet Green Soul into a company. It would make my heart so happy. So I'll walk you through the steps. And this is going to be based on the assumption that this is a solopreneur. You're owning the company by yourself, correct? Yes. (laughs) 
Okay, perfect. Um, so you could, of course, would schedule a 15-minute consultation with us and we would discuss your goals for the company and what you're intending. Are you intending to sell products? Are you intending to sell services? Really get an idea of all of your different income streams, where you'll be operating. And this is going to give us a sense of what your needs are in terms of your business. So there's a couple different needs. So first, there's forming the company. So that is actually getting together all of the organizational docs, choosing a name, getting to filing with the Secretary of State, and getting all of that complete. And then the next phase of it is trademarks, you know, protecting that brand name. And the next phase of it would be making sure that you're in compliance with all applicable laws and making sure that you know the laws that you need to be in compliance with. For example, food handling laws or making sure that you know about copyright laws as you're writing recipes to make sure that you are protecting your recipes and also not infringing on others. So we would sort of walk through what you need to know on that. And then I would also, if there is a website that you're creating, you know, talk about different contracts you need, things like a privacy policy, terms and conditions for the purchase and sale of your goods or services. So, you know, we would really talk through your ideas and that's my opportunity to see like flags coming up in my head like, okay, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. And then if I if I did form an LLC, what exactly are the organizational documents that you talked about earlier or that you mentioned earlier? Like what exactly would I need to give you? Like what documents would I need to give you? Yeah. So there's a bunch of different questions we go over. First of all is your name. So we need to make sure that your name is available in the state in which you are forming the company. And this is to detour into name for a second. There's a couple different things that you want to do in terms of protecting it from intellectual property. This is like step one, but also it really sets you up for success in the future because you have to make sure that your name isn't infringing on the intellectual property rights of other businesses. And you have to make sure that you can be able to protect it in the future if you choose to do so. So we would do name searches uh, and you can do this too to save some money. You can search Google, you can search social media, you can search, um, you know, it should be like 10 pages deep in Google. Like we're talking like these are deep, deep searches. Um, of course, you want to check the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and the Secretary of State website as well. So as you're forming a company, this is super specific to each different state. Like the, everything that you have to do to form a company is dependent on the laws in that state. Um, but once you find a name that works and you like it, you have to make sure that you do all those searches to make sure that it isn't confusingly similar to any other companies in your class of trade or industry. And then once you tell me what your name is, I'll gather some like general information from you on how you would like the company to be managed, whether you want it to be managed by a member or whether you want a manager or a board of managers. And then, of course, which state you want it to be formed in. Do you want it in Colorado or do you want it in Delaware? Because Delaware is known for being really good for forming companies. Um, and then 
I would ask you a couple of different aspects, like just, you know, information to f- to complete the organizational documents. And I would prepare organizational documents for you. That would be, it depends on the state, but generally it's either called a limited liability company or an operating agreement. And so you would need your operating agreement and then you would need your filing with the Secretary of State. And your company is not official and does not exist until you actually get that filing with the Secretary of State complete. So you have to file with the Secretary of State and that's putting you on record and that's showing that you exist. It's also going to, of course, trigger tax implications and everything um, and that varies state by state. But you really want to make sure um, when you're filing with the Secretary of State that you know what your effective date is, um, that you know what information you want to be private and what information you want to keep public um, because as you're putting that information on the Secretary of State, that could be publicly available. So some people don't want their private address on that website and available to everybody. So they use a registered agent to sort of act as a liaison between them and the Secretary of State. Once we have all those documents, I'll show them to you and make sure you're okay with them. It's pretty straightforward for a solopreneur, hence why the cost is low and it's super efficient. Um, And we'll file with the Secretary of State and we will get your operating agreement signed. And then you can also make sure that you um, start, once you get your documents back from the Secretary of State, you'll be able to file for your employer identification number and you'll be able to open up a bank account. That was so super helpful. I'm curious, say you're not a solopreneur and you want to enter into your business with a partner. What should you be aware of going into that situation? That's a really good question. So I love when I hear that people are working together as much as I want to caution people to work and have a solopreneur. I think it's really exciting when you have a team and it's and you want to work together. Um, so knowing that, this becomes really important. Your operating agreement or your organizational documents become your prenuptial agreement, essentially. They become your rules of the road. And that's why working with a template can become very hard if you don't know what that says. So a lot of people like to use LegalZoom, of course, um, to save money and everything. And that can be really hard and turn out poorly, unfortunately, when you have multiple people involved, the risk jumps tremendously. Um, So when you have multiple people involved, you have people who care, money on the table, um, and that's where disputes can arise. Hard to have an argument with yourself, you know? (laughs) Um, So that's why it's really important that your documents reflect the intent of the parties. And that's in terms of your contributions, making sure that it's super clear who's contributing what. Are you contributing assets? Are you contributing time? Are you contributing money, all of those different things. And then what are the distribution rights? Who has the right to what money and when? If somebody put in all the financials and someone just put in time, do they have a preference for payback for that? Other things to consider are control rights. Who has the final decision? 
and what decisions are required to be made by both parties. Is there a level at which you can make decisions without getting the go-ahead from both parties? Or do you need both parties to sign off on everything? And if there's a disagreement, who has the final say? It's really, really tricky when people want to split companies 50-50. And I know this becomes popular if you're in a relationship with someone to split something 50-50. But if there's no way to resolve a stalemate in your business, you're like a floating duck. You're just sinking. Well, I guess ducks float. So maybe you're not thinking like a, a floating barge. I don't know. I, I don't know what the comparison is, but the point is that you're just sitting there and you're not moving and you're not moving forward. So you need someone to have the right to have the final say on something because it can just lock up your business and you won't be able to do anything. You won't even be able to end the business or change the business in a way that works. Um, And then it should really think through all of the eventualities. This is a prenuptial for your business and it should think through all of the things that could happen. And you're really coming at this from a, we love each other. We want to talk through this to make sure that we're both on the same page, that we agree that this is how it's going to happen if something happens. So what if that person who agreed to contribute money or time stops contributing? What if that person finds a different hobby in life and wants to pursue that? Like, how do they get out of the company? How do you buy each other out? What if someone gets divorced and the rights to the company are tied up in the divorce? Can the company just automatically be transferred to the spouse who they're being divorced from. So now you're in business with the spouse or are you forced to sell the company because it has to be liquidated in the event of a divorce? And like the same kind of things happen when a death of a person occurs. And of course, we don't want to talk about that, but realistically, you have to know what happens. Like, are you going to be doing business in the future with someone's spouse or children that you don't know? And, you know, how are you going to solve for all of those issues? So those are just a few, a few of the very tip of the iceberg kinds of things to talk through. And I have like, when I'm working with uh, clients, I walk them through a ton of the different issues that they can consider. And they can either talk through it themselves and let me know what the decisions are, or I can walk them through the process. That was such a great answer, and I feel like that really covered a lot about how to minimize risk when you are an employer entering into a business um, with someone else. And it sounds like if you're 50-50 with someone else, you're going down like the Titanic, basically. Exactly. Totally. I love that. And you spoke spoke about like what should be in your operating agreement. I'm wondering... As far as contracts go, are there any like specific contracts that you recommend for your clients for every single business or what kind of contracts do you absolutely need when forming a company? Every company generally needs a privacy policy to put on their website because privacy is a very big issue now and there's a lot of liability through hacking, particularly if you're gathering sales information or any sort of personal or financial information or if people are posting on your website, right? Privacy policy is very important. It's super basic. Um, It's pretty standard. So it's something that we could provide you a template for at a lower cost. Um, Something that's also super important is just think of where the money goes in your company. 
wherever money goes, typically that's where you want to have a contract. So if that is your services or goods that you're selling, it could be standard terms and conditions that you have that govern those and it governs like the return policy, those kinds of things. Um, Those are aspects that you want to make sure that you have in place. And it's an investment that you make once and maybe you need to update it every so often. But these are more upfront costs that you really – it saves you so much money in the future. Having clear agreements, one of the things that my hypnotherapist says, I freaking love her. Being clear is kind and being unclear is being unkind. So like contracts aren't bad and they're not – they're not – intimidating. They don't have to be intimidating. They don't have to be one-sided. They can be very fair. You can have very fair contracts that actually make your clients feel super supported and comfortable. I know I've received and prepared contracts that I would love to enter into because it means that my rights I'm clear about. I know I know the, the different rules of the road of the parties. A lot of it's about establishing clear expectations and of, you know, what happens in different scenarios. So, you know, where you're spending your money or where you're receiving your money, where you're spending your money might be on independent contractors or employees or something like that. So that's pretty common too. And then you, we also have non-compete or confidentiality agreements. I would say more so confidentiality agreements or non-disclosure agreements become very popular, especially when you have a novel idea and you want to work with people to bring it to fruition, but you want to make sure that they don't steal it and they don't also tell tell other people about it. So it's really protecting yourself. So those are a couple of the big key areas that you would have contracts in your business. So you were speaking a little bit about how to protect your privacy. I'm curious, how can people protect their intellectual property? I love this because so many people invest in their branding, their name, they fall in love with it, right? We put money into graphic designers and brand awareness and getting the word out there. So protecting your intellectual property is something that I want to do right away. It's something – so you have general inherent rights in your intellectual property, assuming that you did your due diligence, assuming that you have the rights to that intellectual property, it's not infringing on anybody else's and it's not confusingly similar to someone else's intellectual property, you have inherent rights, which means that basically it's yours, but it's difficult to prove, right? So the reason why you file for a trademark or a copyright or a patent is so that you have an established proof and it's sort of a way to show, it puts the world on notice that you have the rights to this intellectual property and it creates a presumption then if there's a dispute about it that you have the rights and they have to prove that you don't have the rights. And it's a lot harder to prove, it's a lot easier for you to have to make them prove that you don't have the rights than for you to have to prove that you do have the rights. So filing puts everybody on notice, creates that presumption in favor that you own this intellectual property right. And it's something that I recommend early on in the business. Definitely 
as soon as you can afford it within the first year. I think if you're investing in a logo, investing in graphic design, it should really be as soon as possible because your attorney is going to do that additional due diligence. I wanted to share with you how you can do that due diligence, but ultimately an attorney is going to be much more much better versed in how to do that due diligence. And then not only is your attorney going to do that due diligence, but the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office is also going to do that due diligence. And then if there's any issues that come up, you have to prove it. So if you're planning on investing in you know, a couple thousand dollars in a website, in branding and all that kind of stuff, make sure that you have your intellectual property done first. That way it's not all for nothing because if there's issues that come into your intellectual property, you're going to have to go through a rebrand, which is super expensive. And to be honest, it just sucks, right? We fall in love with the name and we don't want to change it. Sadly, one of our clients, um, way before we were working with them, fell in love with the name of their business. And it was actually a family name. And sadly, there was another company in the same industry with the exact same name. And even though it was a family name, they had to change their name. Now their branding is really cool, but they had to deal with a cease and desist letter and having to go through that process. And it really sucked at the time. So we have a whole guide on this. We have a whole guide on protecting your intellectual property. Intellectual property is the assets, like the creative assets that you can protect in your business. This typically includes your logo, your name, your slogan, all those things that you sort of see that registered mark around or that trademarked around. And we include in the guide all the all the different explanation of what those mean. And of course, there's patents. Um, but also, I just want to note, especially for startups and entrepreneurs, sometimes the protection of intellectual property is actually not registering. And this is why it's really good to work with an attorney because they're going to be able to advise you whether it actually makes sense for you to register a patent or something like that or So it's pretty easy, you know, branding, names, logo, slogans, you always want to trademark, you always want to register. But when it gets to more of designs, utilities, creations, right, something that might be a patent or something that might be a trade secret, recipes, product um, development and everything, it's actually sometimes better for you to not publish it publicly because a patent only lasts a certain amount of years before it can then be used by everybody in the exact same way that you did it. Whereas if it's a trade secret and you don't publish it and you keep it secret to you, then it's something that no one has access to. You're not putting it out there for everybody to take and use in the future. So there's pros and cons to that. And you really want to think of is this something totally proprietary to us and is this something that I don't want to get out there? And then if it is a trade secret where you want to keep it secret and it's better to do that, your attorney can advise you on how best to do it. But basically the simple way is to say, don't tell a soul. Literally, don't have it written down. Or if you do, it better be in a safe. Like don't tell your sister, don't tell your family, don't tell your employees, don't let anybody make it. That's kind of like 
the way to keep a trade secret a secret because obviously if people know it, it's not much of a secret. That was great. And then specifically, what would you recommend um, for protecting intellectual property on social media um, slash like your website? Yeah, we have a whole guide on this, which I really love. And we can go deeper on it too. The guide is linked in the show notes too for anybody who wants that. And it's for free. So when you're on social media, I really like to think of treating others how I would want to be treated. You have assets that you've worked hard for. Let's say you have a designer and you pay that designer to come up with a graphic or you pay a photographer to take a product photo. And to a certain extent, it's really wonderful when people share it. We want people to share it and you know, link it back to our page. We want people to share our stories. We want people to share our posts. All of that's wonderful for the most part. It's not wonderful when someone steals your work and then doesn't credit you. That stinks. And that also isn't wonderful when someone, especially when someone takes your work, doesn't credit you, and then also tries to pose as if it's theirs. So for instance, let's say you have product shots of your swimsuits, and then someone is trying to say that that's their swimsuit. And you're like, that ah, nope. Nope, (laughs) not yours. Um, So I know that we all know how we want to be treated. I think a lot of people forget those important rules when they're developing their content online. So it's really easy to screenshot a cool photo you like that you find on Google or you find on Pinterest or you find on someone else's feed and it doesn't have a source. And you're like, well, I don't really know how to credit it because I know it's not theirs, but it doesn't have a source. I think that the best thing to do is to not share it, even though it would be easy for you to have a beautiful feed filled with other people's photos. I always kind of cringe when I see especially brands and companies have feeds with other people's photos, especially when they haven't credited them. It's not bad to have a feed with other people's photos, but I would always reach out and ask to make sure it's okay if you share it, okay if you share it with credit, and making sure that you're just treating others how you would treat it. The important thing to know about social media too is that Once you put something up on social media, you also may lose the intellectual property rights that you have to it. A lot of these social media platforms have their own rules in their terms and conditions, which everybody clicks accept so that they can download the app and they don't even read them, right? I mean, I honestly don't read them either, but I know what's in there. (laughs) Just to be honest, it's not like I'm scrolling through Instagram's terms and conditions. I just know that Instagram owns every single photo that I put up there. And so if you have something that's proprietary that you don't want somebody else to own, be careful of whether you're putting it on social media and be careful of what platforms that you're using. Your website is your property. That's where you put your proprietary information. That's where you put anything you care about. Um, Photographers often use watermarks to show that they have – to show their attribution and to give them credit for their work. Some people don't use watermarks and they just, you know, are confident in their work and are happy when it's shared. But it's sort of like – doing a little bit of internal work and seeing what you feel comfortable with. If you put this out here 
am I going to care if somebody steals it? Am I going to care if someone uses it? Am I going to care if someone uses it with crediting me, uses it without crediting me, and kind of like establish those boundaries. And then if someone's using your work, then you can work with an attorney to get a cease and desist letter um, because you have the inherent intellectual property rights to any assets that you create. And then we go more, more and more detail into it in the guide how would you suggest someone minimize risk in general as an employer? Really good question. I, I think minimizing risk is a lot about issue spotting. And a lot of this can be hard when we're in the weeds. Working with an attorney can really help you get out of the weeds and see the trees and they can say and identify all the different risks in your business. And risks can be things that you allocate in contracts. That's one of the biggest reasons why you want clear contracts. That's risk allocation. That's making sure that you have clear expectations, making sure that you have a separate legal entity, as we discussed before, making sure that you have a continued maintenance of those corporate formalities so that you are maintaining that separate legal entity as a separate existence and you're avoiding piercing the corporate veil having clear contracts that allocate risk, having waivers if you need them in your business, making sure that you're complying with applicable law. Sometimes things like as simple as having employee policies or having confidentiality agreements that your employees sign, making sure that intellectual property that people are contributing to your business are properly assigned to your business through either employment agreements or independent contractor agreements. But it really depends pretty significantly on each employer or each business. Those are a couple of the different ways. We don't use employee agreements in our business. Um, I use confidentiality agreements for anybody who is has access to confidential information. So for Dean Street Law, we always use confidentiality agreements for all of our employees. But then for Flourish, there's not the same level of confidential information and access to that. So we don't have confidential um, agreements with our employees. But having clear policies on expectations is really important. So especially where you have clients making sure that there's an expectation and maybe there's a non-competition or non-solicitation agreement where they can't take your clients. I think non-competition agreements get bad raps because, quite frankly, they're often drafted super unfairly. Um, And it is super unfair to make someone not be able to do their function and role. For example, I know of salons that say that people can't be estheticians or hairdressers or nail artists in other salons and they make them sign non-competition agreements. And it doesn't make any sense. That's taking away someone's rights to their livelihood. But if you have a non-competition agreement that makes sense, you can't steal my, my, my clients, for example. You can't solicit all of my clients, right? That's fair. <laughs> the expectation is not that someone's able to be an employee of yours and then get your client list and take all of your clients. So 
talking through the different aspects of your business with a lawyer. They'll be able to better identify all of those specifics for you to make sure that you're covered and you're minimizing your risk. Um, And insurance, I forget if I mentioned that, but insurance is also a really good way to minimize risk. I highly recommend that every business have general liability, umbrella coverage, insurance, and we also have property insurance and we have professional liability insurance. So working with an insurance broker to talk about your business, similar to how you do that with your lawyer, they'll also be able to identify risks in your business and help you navigate those. That was really informational. And I think that that wraps up all the questions that we have on forming a company and forming a legal entity. Um, If you guys have any other questions, obviously shoot Dean Street Law a DM, um, and we'd be happy to do something like this again. And Laura, really quick before we round out, one, are there any legal resources that you recommend? And then how can everyone work with you and where can they find you? Um, So we have our free guides. We have ones on different types of legal entities that we talked about, avoiding piercing the corporate veil, social media. We're actually coming out with a COVID guide that will be available by the time that this launches. And we also are coming out with a guide on fundraising. So if you are fundraising and bringing on investors in your business. Um, I dive deeper into that in that guide as well. And we are we have our 15-minute free consultation. We'll link that in the show notes. If you have any questions, we are so happy to help you through this. You should have an attorney that you love. I know this is a boring area of your business and some people really hate this area, Find an attorney that you feel comfortable with. Find an attorney that you love. Have an open conversation with them. We're really here to be able to support epic entrepreneurs, soulful companies. We work with everyone from startups to Fortune 500 companies. And I know that cost is a big thing. So I'm really excited. We are announcing soon that we are providing templates, template contracts, and also courses. Because I think what's missing in the marketplace is that people buy templates, but then they don't know what they mean. They don't know how to customize them. And ultimately, it ends up backfiring and costing more than if they had just worked with an attorney. There's so much that goes into every single contract and making sure that you have the right contract for you. And i very, very thoughtful of this. And I also want to make sure that once you have it, you're armed and you are educated and empowered. And I feel like that's really, really missing in the marketplace right now. And it's so hard because I work with Fortune 500 companies that have an unlimited, they have an unlimited budget, right, for legal work. But startups need that same amount of legal support. They really do. And there needs to be a a solution that actually serves them well, that doesn't just give them something that they don't know how to work with and then ends up causing issues in the end. So I'm really, really excited about, we'll have a link to sign up for early access for that. Um, If you're interested in the show notes and you can find me at Dean Street Law on Instagram and you can find me at Laura M. DeFrancesco on Instagram as well. Very cool. And those courses will be awesome, especially for like the DIY lawyer. (laughs) 
Totally. I am all about DIY and I wanted to be a lawyer so that I could understand how to be an epic entrepreneur. And it's doable. It totally is very doable, but you need the education and you need to know how to work through these things. And I want to be able to provide that so that everybody feels educated and empowered. That's my goal. I love it. Laura is legally brunette. Move over, Elwood. <laughs> oh my God, stop. That just literally made my whole entire life. <laughs> Should we have had that? What kind of contracts do we need together? <laughs> it's very specific. I love it, but that was so great and so informational. Thank you so much for providing all that knowledge for us, Laura. You're welcome. Thanks, gals. That was incredible. Oh my gosh, so much great info. Laura literally is just a wealth of knowledge and I learned so much. I specifically loved when you talked about how you can't, you shouldn't, or you advise against entering a partnership with 50-50 ownership. ownership. And um, because I was just actually listening to another podcast and they were saying the same thing. Cause I think when you're actually starting a business with someone that sounds like a really great thing, like, Oh, it's fair. It's equal. It's 50, 50, but coming from, that's like something that you would only find out talking to a lawyer. So I love that there was a lot of little bits and information like that in there um, that you, I just learned so much personally. Oh, good. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that it was helpful. I think that like the legal aspect of business is one of the, most intimidating aspects of business and it's something that a lot of people don't feel comfortable with and I think it's super super important to break it down to make it so that you have things that people are able to digest and incorporate in their business and overall just educating people and making sure that they feel really empowered with that information totally well thank you gals thank you And we'll see everyone in the next episode, Negotiating a Contract. Mm